Hello, and welcome to the Second Chapter Podcast. This is season nine of the Second Chapter, and I am back with more brilliant and inspiring women who have changed their lives and or their careers after 35. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I've had my fair share of changes myself, so it's a subject that's close to my heart. This week, I'm speaking with Kim Carpenter. Kim is a keynote speaker, executive coach, author, creator of world-changing women, and founder and CEO of People at the Center. Much of Kim's job is making the workplace more humane, but before she could help others align their own lives and values, she had to align her own, something that required selling all of her things, traveling the world, and finding what mattered. Kim, you're literally out of alignment. Your body is telling you, how many more signs do you need to have? And I remember one day I was sitting in my corner office and I just felt this presence, like a voice inside my head. And the voice was saying, walk down the hall, go into your boss's office and just quit right now. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm so great, Kristen. Thank you for having me. I love that we are in our matching hot pink colors today. I feel like this is a good vibe already. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. We're bringing the spring with us, aren't we? (laughs) Oh, I'm longing for it. You're in Austin, Texas, right? Yes. Yes. So you must have better weather than we have right now here in London. I think so. We get crazy weather in February and March where it goes up and down. So I think a week ago it was maybe in the 40s. This is Fahrenheit. And later this week, it'll be in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We've had a lot of ups and downs, but not quite to that extreme. I'll be lucky to see 80s this summer. So fingers crossed. Yes. Before we started actually chatting, I did your intro, talked about how you're a keynote speaker, executive coach, you're a creative, world-changing women, founder, CEO of People at the Center. You're an author. I'm going to start by really putting you on the spot and asking, what are you most proud of? Oh, I love that question. Woo, let's get right into it. (laughs) I don't mess around. I will probably talk about this, but I transitioned from working in corporate, advising and marketing to doing coaching. And I think what I'm most proud of is the impact that I'm able to have with clients so they can transform their lives. I get to be a midwife to them bringing in the next chapter of their life or taking that next big courageous step in their life. And then I get to see what it's like for them on the other side. And having the honor of doing that is really what I'm most proud of. I'm really familiar with that in a very different way, but I do triathlon coaching and so many people, and I especially really see it in a women's group I work with because they tend to come to me and say, I don't think I can do it, or I'm really unfit, very disparaging of themselves to themselves. And to see the strength, the physical strength, but the mental strength that goes along with some coaching and getting them over the finish line is just, it is one of the most rewarding things I do, definitely. For sure. So you obviously didn't start there. You had a fairly decent length career in digital marketing. Tell me how you ended up there in the first place. I was pretty good at art and graphic design. And it's interesting because not a lot of people know this about me, but I actually got my degree in graphic design, loved the creative process, and found myself not loving working as a graphic designer. (laughs) 
It's interesting you say that because I was a fashion designer. My dad was a graphic designer, but I was a fashion designer. I loved school. I loved the creative process. And then it was time to go to work and I did not love it. It was not the same. Right. It's okay. Now you have to pump out this design by three o'clock. You have an hour and a half to do it. It's got to go in the newspaper as an ad, whatever. And it just wasn't fulfilling. And I was Mm -hmm. much more skilled at the people side of that business. And so I found myself studying project management. I actually got a certification in IT project management and quickly climbed the ladder in that world, in that in that side. So was a project manager, engagement manager, and then finally director of client services inside of big agencies and helping them launch the digital departments inside of advertising, traditional advertising agencies in the beginning of the dot-com boom. So I think I was just in the right place at the right time for that and really leveraged my strengths inside of whatever I was doing and didn't stay confined to, I have to do this one role just because I got my degree in that. I don't always feel like that's the easiest thing when you're hired to do something or they see you a certain way in the corporate world. You don't always have the opportunity to go off in different directions, I think. I don't know that's true. I think that anything can feel hard or challenging, right? Like it's easy for us to label someone or put them in a box. But I think especially now, there's a lot of crossover. And even inside of companies, there are highly matrixed organizations where you're in a department, but you get to work with these other departments and you get to work cross-functionally on different initiatives. So I think there's actually more openness now to to transitioning and trying out different things. And lucky for people like us who like to do different things anyway. Yes. So you told me before we were recording that, as you just said, you were in the right place at the right time, ended up working your way up to corner office, view of the Empire State Building. It's the dream in the corporate world. But obviously, you weren't happy. Yes, I know. And nobody understood. <laughs> I remember talking to my family, talking to my friends and saying, is this really it? Is this, I've made it, quote unquote, and is this really all there is? And I looked around and I was working with some super creative people, very inspirational, some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life in New York City, people who had also made it. And I just found the work unfulfilling. And I kept asking the question, this is great, but what are we putting into the world that's really good, that's really going to make a difference? And at that point, I was working in pharmaceutical digital marketing. One of my friends says, yeah, you were just pushing drugs online. <laughs> you do kind of go, is there more than this? Am I doing the right thing? <laughs> more than this? And I think that there's a lot of paths to healing and traditional medicine is one of them for sure. But I just felt like, really, I don't think that this is what I'm meant to do forever. Yeah. I mean, when you get that call, not everybody answers it, but I feel like it would have been something that was just clawing at you until you did something about it. Yeah, it definitely was. In many ways, I actually had gone through a divorce and was really just questioning everything. Like, how did I get here? 
I don't, I never thought of myself as someone who would get divorced. I was just wondering why, like, why did I end up here? And so I hired a coach for myself. I started just diving into meditation and kind of deep self-reflection practices. And I was really on a path of self-discovery. And then my back went out and I had herniated L4, L5. It was in so much pain <clears throat> that I couldn't sleep more than four or five hours a night. I so would you have wake plenty of time to think as well. Gosh, I would wake <laughs> up in the middle of the night and I was going to, I went to three surgeons and said, you have to cut the disc out. And then thank goodness I found an acupuncturist who said, don't cut your disc out. All my clients had their discs cut out and you're going to want that disc when you're 75 years old. So let's see if we can heal you. Let's see if we can relax your muscles enough to create more spaciousness in your spine. Let's get you massage. Let's So I took that route. I didn't have the surgery. and But that was another sign for me that I'm not aligned. And I had some spiritual teachers who were teaching me meditation. They were like, Kim, you're literally out of alignment. <laughs> you are not on your path. Your body is telling you how many more signs do you need to have? And I remember one day I was sitting in my corner office and I just felt this presence, like a voice inside my head, but behind me. It was a very interesting out-of-body experience. And the voice was saying, walk down the hall, go into your boss's office and just quit right now. You need to quit. Wow. This is not for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is not for you. And I'm thinking, am I going crazy now? I'm hearing, I mean, you're hearing voices, so it's, a, it's okay. But obviously, like you said, out of alignment, the decision was it was being told all around you. <laughs> yes, all around me. And I knew that I had to do something different. And so that's when I just started planning on leaving. And I, um, I knew that I wanted to take a year-long sabbatical. I had some savings. I ended up selling all my belongings, except for a few precious things, and putting some things in storage. And I got a ticket to India, and I had my own Eat, Pray, Love adventure there. I was just going to say, this sounds familiar. <laughs> in fact, Eat, Pray, Love came out after I got back, and my mom called me uh, and said, this woman stole your life story. She was working <laughs> in Manhattan. She went to India. Uh, she went through I a divorce. Yeah, she went through a divorce. Exactly. And I actually went to Italy on that same trip. India, Italy, Germany, not Bali till that came later. But yeah, life really just lifed me, as I like to say. And it was like, <laughs> you have to, it's time to move. It's time to do something radically different. And I knew for me, like I'm an all or nothing type of person. So I had to do something radically different. And I know for the listeners, you don't necessarily have to quit your job and go to India. But when that tap comes, it's quiet at first, Kristen. It's like a quiet little whisper. And it's like, you, should, you could do something different. And then by yes. the time it gets to herniated disc, pain, can't sleep, hearing voices, it really is time <laughs> to do something different. It is definitely time. It was like went from a little tap to like, grabbing you by the shoulders and being like, please, Kim, come on. Exactly. You say you don't have to sell all your belongings and travel for a year, but there's a big part of me that's, you know what, that clean slate. Sometimes I wouldn't mind selling, you know, all but the precious things taking off. And I know you found some purpose in that year during that journey. 
I feel like so often when I'm traveling, I'm so immersed in the world of travel, I forget sometimes to think about life. And I guess maybe I've never traveled for a full year, but how did travel start putting you in the right direction and make you rethink about what you wanted to do? First of all, I've been to 37 countries, so I've traveled a lot. I really believe there's tremendous value in travel. And early in my life, I guess in my 20s, I came to the decision, I'm going to purchase experiences over stuff. Like I'm going to prioritize that. And I want to experience the world. It's a big world and there are a lot of ways to live a life. And I think traveling to especially developing countries where you, we Westerners get to see people can be tremendously satisfied and not have anything. Be living on 50 cents a day. I saw people living under a thatch, just a roof, right? There were no walls, but they were live. They had a platform and they had a roof over their heads and they were the most happy, joyful, loving people that I ever met that was in Thailand or being in India and meeting people that literally live on the side of the road and there's still a sense of family and community and people helping each other. That was really mind-blowing. <laughs> so I think that really put a lot of things into perspective. Like, what do I really need to be happy? And is it all of the stuff? Is it the Seekerson Morrison shoes and the Calvin Klein suit in New York City, clip-clopping up and down the subway? Or can it really be I'm living in alignment with my purpose? I'm following my heart's desire to serve in a different way. I'm making my life matter, matter to me and to others. How am I serving my community in a bigger way? The quote that you said was that you were called to take a stand for good business. I really liked that you were called to take a stand for good business. So what kind of hit you and how, I don't know, how did you see that happening? Well, I think that happened out of my experience working in corporate where I could see that people were being diminished in ways that weren't really necessary. Things are changing, thank goodness, but there's still a lot of models out there of command and control and I'm paying you so you should behave in this way and do what I want. And I had a friend tell me our model of business really stems from slavery, from the idea that I'm the boss, you work for me. Now, slaves didn't get paid, but there is something that I think we've just accepted for so long. And I... After going through my divorce and hiring a coach, I started using coaching principles with some of my direct reports and really taking a stand for people to be working in alignment with their strengths. So strengths finders started to become popular. And I was having conversations with my manager about how I wanted to support my team. And they were very, let's just say, not very positive about it. <laughs> they said, okay. you're spending way too much time working with these people, trying to make it work. I think you just need to fire you know, them. There was one person in particular. And I really took a stand for this person and said, no, that's not true. Look, they have all of these gifts. They have all of these strengths. And I think we, this person's just not in the right role. And what can we do here? And that was a very eye-opening conversation for me to see that 
there was a level of people are dispensable. And I think that now we have all of these fast forward, what is it, 22 years <laughs> and we have more studies coming out and we have a lot of information about how when you have engaged employees, you the company makes more money. When you have women on the board, the company makes more money. So there is a correlation between having engaged employees who care about their job and the company cares about them having that work better. But that's where it came from. It came out of my own experience. And so when you came back from travel, what were the first steps? How did, where did you start in this long list of you've done all these, founded oh, all yeah. these? What was next? Yeah. So I came out of travel and what I did first was I just had to make some money. <laughs> and so I went back to New York City and I worked in this, I worked for the same agency, but as a contractor. And so I got like a six month contract and it was paid very well as a contractor. And during that six months, took some time to reintegrate. Honestly, I had a bit of culture shock after mm -hmm. a year away and I'd lost a bit of my edge, honestly, <laughs> like that business edge, that, you know, snappiness you've got to have in the business world. And so I was like, oh, okay, I need to get this back, but I also need to figure out what's next for me. And so in that six months, I knew I'm going to figure out what I want to do and where I want to be. So the where I wanted to be felt like the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And I, what I do and others might want to try this, is I reach out to people who are trusted resources in my life and get advice about yeah. where could you see me? What could you see me doing? What places have you heard of? Here are the things I'm looking for. So here's what I said. I said, I want to live in a community that's smaller than New York City because mm -hmm. I want to be known. I want to have true community. I don't want to be anonymous like you can be in New York. I want to pe have people know me and know my my good side and my bad side and love me for my quirks. <laughs> I want to live in a community that has a little bit of a spiritual essence to it. So a bit of a vibe of spirituality. I've been studying meditation for so long. I wanted that. I wanted great yoga classes. I wanted naturopathic healers and doctors in the community. I wanted great food. And I want to live where there's nature all around me. I don't want to live in a concrete jungle. So I had this contrast of what I wanted compared to New York City that I didn't want. <laughs> I was going to say, you're saying a lot of things that some of them, yes, New York City, you can get you can go to a great yoga class, but you're not going to usually know the people in it. You're not yeah. going to get all the parks around. I mean, Central Park, Prospect Park, they're great, but you're not going to feel like you're surrounded by nature. So you're definitely not going to hear back, oh, you should stay in New York. <laughs> exactly. So I had a college professor, David McKenzie, amazing human, that I called and said, hey, here are the things I'm interested in. I'm interested in coaching. I'm interested in personal development and meditation. And I'm looking for my next home. And he said, I think you should come here. And I'm like, where are you? And he's I'm in <laughs> this little tiny town in Canada, 10,000 people in the mountains. And I thought, Canada, are you kidding me? Isn't it freezing cold there? And he's like, no, it's just 30 minutes over the Washington border. It's We get snow, but it's it's really bearable. So I jumped on a plane and flew to Spokane, Washington and drove into Canada through the mountains 
seeing osprey and wild eagles and creeks and brooks and beautiful trees along the way and got to this sign that said the city of Nelson welcomes you and had tears in my eyes and just knew. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm moving to Canada. So that was the first thing that had to happen. And that was a little hiccup in the plan of I'm just going to I'm going to become a coach now. I'm going to have my own business, whatever, because it's not that easy to do in Canada. But I'm at, like magically enough, I get to this town. My friend starts introducing me to all of these people. They're saying things to me like, welcome home <laughs> when I meet them. <laughs> And then while I was there on vacation, my friend called me. He's like, you're never going to believe this, but there's a little digital marketing agency in town. And the woman who was running the operations of the business is renting my friend's house in town. And she just gave her notice today. So maybe you could just become Tabitha and have her job, (laughs) have a work permit, have her house. This could be possible. And so I met the director of the agency the next morning over coffee. He offered me a job. I walked up the hill. I looked at the house. I said yes. And then I discovered that because my degree is in graphic design, that was one of the 34 jobs listed on the NAFTA list Mm. of desired jobs. So all I had to have was an offer letter from the company. And I didn't have to go through the rigmarole of trying to get a work permit in another way. I just had to have the offer letter. And I spoke to them and I said in the interview, I said, look, I'm also a coach. I'm going to be doing this on the side. I'm eventually going to be doing this full time. And they said, great, whatever it takes to get you, New York City lady, to come (laughs) run our agency. Like, it's fine with us. So it was magic. It makes me sad now to know you're in Texas (laughs) because it's like welcome home and now I'm sure that is also a wonderful story (laughs) but is that when you started getting to be able to really implement all the things that you wanted to do about putting people at the center and employees first and really developing people it was interesting because I was with the owner of the agents it was a very small agency yes basically running and coaching them So I started by doing, which Mm -hmm. I think is very important. So I started by doing and working with them and coaching them and then looking at how do we create this company in a way that really has the people here thrive. And we were very close, like we we had very close friendships inside of that agency as well. And so that's where it started. And then I was coaching clients on the side of that kind of side hustle. And then started creating some programming around that and launching that. Eventually, I was able to sponsor my own visa and have my own company. So I registered a company in Canada, Kim Carpenter Consulting, and was doing coaching and some digital marketing. So I did this together for a while, which I think is important for people to hear. Because I think a lot of people hear, oh, I just decided to be a million dollar, whatever, and I launched a business (laughs) and then overnight success. And it's okay if you have to do your side hustle for a while and then you save enough money and you have enough solidity in your business plan and you know you've got customers and then you launch that thing. Like that's okay too. Yeah, I do feel like I speak to a lot of creative people. I've become an author or an actor or a baker, things that you think of as creative jobs. And 
people have a really hard time saying they're that thing until it's like their primary source of income. And I'm sorry, if you have changed your job to become an actor and you can make it your primary source of income, more power to you. But you are allowed to say you're that thing. You're a coach, you're whatever you're doing as your side hustle to maybe become your main hustle. (laughs) You're allowed to say you're that thing before it is the primary breadwinner of your life. Yes. That's my statement anyway. (laughs) I'm 100% with you, Kristen. And I think I had a mentor who just said, put the shingle out, just hang the shingle. You just got to hang it and claim it. And then it comes. But if there's all this resistance and it's like, I can't say I'm an actor. I can't say I'm an author. I can't say I'm a, are you writing? Are you publishing your writing? Yes. Then you're an author. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. If you're not willing to say it, how's anybody else going to say it? How's somebody going to believe that you're doing this thing? or believe in you or want to buy your book or come to you for coaching or whatever, if you're not willing to embrace it yourself. Exactly. How do we get to the next stages? How did you end up in Austin? It's so interesting because when I talk to people, I know the highlights and I can do all my research in the world. And then things start coming out that I'm like, wait, I don't know about this. How do they connect? How did you get there? Yes, it's not a straight path. It should not be. We just said it never is. (laughs) Yeah. So I was in Canada for seven years. I actually became a Canadian citizen. So I have dual citizenship now. I love Canada. I dream to go back to Canada. In fact, I'll be going back this summer. But after a while, it felt like a very small pool and I needed to swim in a bigger pool. So I was studying with a business mentor out of San Diego, California, And I felt really called to move to California and had a friend who had extra space in her house. And she was saying, just come here, you'll figure it out. And so after seven years, I decided to go back to the States and I had a lot more opportunity for business Mm. and growing the business in California. And so I was there for a year and a half and had intentions of staying there. But after a year and a half, got a call from my mom that said, your dad's cancer is back and they've given him six to 12 months to live. We don't know what's going to happen, but we decided to move from El Paso, Texas to Austin, Texas, because we're closer to family there. And of course, we'd love for you to come here, but it's up to you. Like There was no pressure at all. But as soon as I heard that, I just knew that this was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to support my mom and dad and be there for my dad's transition. My dad and I had a very tough relationship, but healed that later on in Mm -hmm. life and really got to the place where we were quite close. And so I was like, this is it. When they say six to 12 months, what is that? So I... That's what took me back to Austin, Texas. I never thought I would move to Texas again after I left in my 20s. Austin is the only place I would ever live in Texas. And my mom knew that too. She's very wise. So I went back and we had two great years with my dad, had some incredible experiences, went to concerts together, went on long walks. And I was right there by his bedside when he passed. And so that's probably one of the most profound things that's ever happened to me. But that's what got me to Texas. And then I actually graduated from the University of Texas. So in a way, it's like coming full circle. And Texas and Austin is an extremely exciting 
place. It's a huge, a huge place for startups. You have Silicon Valley and then you have Austin where mm-hmm. you have all these venture capital firms and you have Capital Factory. That's this hub of, they call it ground zero for startups. So there's so much happening here. And then there's a lot of tech companies happening, coming here. We have Dell computers here. Tesla just built a massive factory here. So the city's exploding. It's actually the number one fastest growing city in the United States now. And so it's a great place to be. And so being here was a blessing. Coming back was actually really a blessing. And and additionally, a year ago or a couple of years ago during the pandemic, I met the love of my life and got married last year at the age of 52. It's where I'm supposed to be right now. And we'll see. My husband and I have dreams of living other places and he's been here for a very long time. So the beauty of this work is that I can really go anywhere and live anywhere. And and I have clients all over the world now. I think because you talked a lot about the bottom line, you've also talked about people living off very little and you know how the people are treated in the workplace. And so much of what you do is making sure that workplace relationships can also lead to bigger bottom lines. Is that correct? You have got it down, Kristen. You got it down. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really interested because I think I'm hearing one thing that this is a big city that's exploding and capital and this, but then also... I know how important it is to you that people are treated well and that people are happy in their work environments. So tell me a bit more about what exactly you do to bring those things together. I made a very, very bringing things together hand gesture for those who are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So being in a place where there's constant innovation and creativity and businesses are popping up, there is a big focus on how do we create things that that make money. And Austin in particular is also has a culture of really doing good. So there are a lot of organizations in addition to mine that are supporting conscious capitalism and how do we create business for good? Now, a lot of times those businesses think about good for the world, right? I'm going to do something good for the environment or I'm going to give back in some way. And and so what I'm also saying is true sustainability is when you're also your company is good for your company. Your company is good for the people that are running the company in the company, working in the company. Like you don't have a company without human, without human beings, you don't have a company, right? It's all well and good if you're saying, oh, we're helping the environment. But if your employees are going home miserable and hating life every day, it's not really the environment is still polluted metaphorically. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so I think that there's a trend towards having your employees being engaged. There's these catchwords, employee engagement and satisfaction and diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. And so it's nice that those are trends. And that I think after the Me Too movement, women's empowerment and women's enterprise resource groups are becoming stronger. That's great. But if it's all talk, then Mm. it's not going to go anywhere. So what we do at People at the Center is really work with, we start working with the leaders because it really does come down from leadership. So if we, that's a part of what we say we have to do. We have to work with senior leadership and senior leadership at the very top has to buy into what we're doing. And then we're helping people be people-centric 
in their leadership. So thinking about, yes, the people need to work to hit the goals, the company mission, right? If you're not working towards that, you also don't have a company. And how do you do this in a way where people really feel authentically included and honored? How do you help people to know their strengths and to to really honor those things so that they want to perform better, right? Mm -hmm. They're in a team, they're in an environment that fosters their growth. Growth is what people actually want. People don't want to be stagnant. People don't want to do quiet quitting. (laughs) I have some clients who were like doing a little side hustle on top of their full-time job and it did not feel good at the end of the day. Like we know inherently (laughs) when we're off kilter in that way as people. And so how do you have the conversations that matter? How do you have environments that really foster us showing up to do our best work? And I guess that's something I choose to believe. I choose to believe that people want to do their best. Mm -hmm. They don't want to just quit and be complacent and be stagnant because that just never feels good to human beings. And so you're working with leadership, but you're also working with teams, with individuals to find how they can be their best, how they can do their best. Yeah, we have three main pillars that we work with. So connected communication is where everything starts. How do we have the communication, the conversations, understanding different communication styles and differences and honoring those differences, and then aligned purpose, right? So how do you find what's most important to you and your team? And how do you trickle up those values of the individual people to align with the values at the top, at the company level, and then people-centric leadership. So how do you become a leader that isn't just someone that people follow, but that you're there to serve? Your Mm -hmm. purpose as a leader is to actually serve the people and have them win. So it's not about you winning as a leader and look at me, but like, how do I have all of these people win? So there's some paradigm shifts that we work with inside of those principles. I guess I'm just really digging into some of this because I do feel like so much of what you're saying, maybe if there's someone listening who does feel like something's a little bit off, whether they are a leader, quote unquote, in their company or they're working for the company and feeling like things aren't quite balanced with them, that some of these principles are almost something that could be applied or to know more about, to bring into maybe your own life, your own business, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I We look at it on an individual level and then we look at it on a team level because there is something that happens when you're a team of people working towards achieving something. You need to look at the dynamics of the team. Mm -hmm. But if you're an individual person, it's what's going on for you. And I think we can be more empowered than we often think we can to create change. And that takes getting out on our our edges. I call it walking out on the skinny branches. So we've got to take some risks And we might, some branches might break, but you're going to be okay. But we've got to take those risks because if we just sit back as individuals and go, I'm just going to wait for the company to do something about this, or I'm just going to wait for my manager to do something about this. 
it's very slow <laughs> to change, right? So taking change into our own hands is important too. And so that's something that when we're coaching the individuals, we coach leaders, but we also coach people in various levels of the organization. And we found that when you're able to stand up and have the conversations about creating change and not mm -hmm. just waiting for the change or being complacent about the change, then things are going to happen or they're not. And you might need to make a different decision about where you want to be or where you do you want to stay at this company? Do you want to stay in this role? Is this the right fit for you? So our desire is also to have people, I've never said this before, but be at their own center, have human beings tap into their own center and really look at what is the life and the career and the work that they want to create. Yeah, because I think you're a good example of you had a great job, but you didn't have the values and the your center, feeling centered, feeling aligned that went along with it. Because if you were working on products that you didn't agree with, or you weren't, not to say that your company was a bad company, but you do need to feel that your company is sharing your values and what you want to be doing every day. Yeah. And I think your company can share the values, but the role you're in doesn't align with your values or mm. align with what you know that you're meant for. And so sometimes we need to make changes. And I'm seeing a huge wave of that, <laughs> a huge wave of people in career transition right now, specifically women and specifically women who have risen to some of the top ranks in mm -hmm. business, just looking around going, is this it? Like where I was in my mid thirties, is this really all there is? You told me that I didn't have to be a man and that I could become a C-suite leader and here I am. And now it's not bringing me the joy and the satisfaction. In fact, I'm working even harder than my male counterparts. I'm expected to run the household, take care of the kids, <laughs> do everything you know, for the family and work my derriere off at the office every day. So there's a lot of questioning I'm seeing right now. Yeah, to say you can have it all is really one of the most anti-feminist things you can say, because to ask someone to do everything, to expect that, and I'm not saying that we can't do what we want to do as women. So often it was like the woman that has it all. And it just meant that she was working herself to absolute oblivion, as opposed to this wonderful feeling of I've gotten to where I want to go. Yes, exactly. That is such a trap. We shouldn't <laughs> even want to have it all. <laughs> yeah, you know? all sounds like a little too much. <laughs> yeah. my Some of my clients say you have to outsource, you know, that you have to delegate the same way you do at work. You can't do it all. You have to have teams of people that help execute things. And so where do you delegate? Where do you delegate your being a mom. How do you create your life so that you have support structures? How do you integrate, help family? People are making radically different choices. And it is nice. That's the one thing that I do think it is nice that those choices can be made. So it's not yeah. about having it all. It's about having the choice to do, you know, what you want, what does align with you, I think. Yes. And not feeling guilty. So we've been that. speaking of the women's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about world-changing women. 
World Changing Women was birthed, I think, from my own desire to make a bigger difference. And so I started looking at how do we actually move the needle on making a difference as women. And also, it came about because in my travels, hands down, all of the people that I encountered that were doing massive things inside of their communities were the women. In Africa, it was the women who were going, no, our kids are going to go to school and we need better health care and we need sustainable farming practices. And we, it was really the women. And I saw it in Thailand. I saw it in Bali. It was, it was just very inspiring to see the fire in the women's belly about how when we come together and we really stand for the difference that we want to make, we can achieve it. And we're never going to give up on that. And so I started World Changing Women out of that desire and that passion to support women to make the difference they want to make. And so I have women's coaching groups and I've led live events before the pandemic and hope to do more now that we're coming back live more and more. But it's just really a way for women to come together and encourage and inspire each other to make the change that they want to make. And for some, that's, hey, I want to empower more women in my workplace. And mm -hmm. that is world changing. For some people, it's, hey, I want to make sure that my children are taken care of when I'm no longer here. And for them, that's world changing. And for others, it's, I want to start a nonprofit and company and hire 5,000 people. And for them, that's world changing. So there's no one way to be world changing. You get to define it for yourself. And I just find that when women come together to support each other in that, really magical things can happen. I love that too, because I do think sometimes it's really easy to be, to not start because it feels too big. You think, oh, I'm not a world-changing woman because I'm just, I just want to make sure my kids are taken care of, or I just and we put that word just everywhere. Mm -hmm. I just want to do this. But if we empower ourselves to think a really small thing we do can change the world, that is a step maybe towards something that ends up much bigger, or maybe it doesn't have to be a, a nonprofit with 5,000 people to have a world-changing effect. So I think that's really empowering. Yeah, thank you. Short of traveling the world, short of quitting your job and selling everything, What's your advice to someone who does want to make a change and maybe specifically a woman who's listening who says, I'm thinking about it? I think that it really starts with listening to the quiet whispers inside of you that are giving you some information about what you might want to do next. And I think that those things are easy to ignore but my advice would be don't get to the point where your back goes out or something <laughs> happens and you're in tremendous pain. I wish I had listened earlier on. When you're listening to the quiet whisper or you're wanting to lean in to your inner knowing, your I call it your intuition, whatever you want to call it, your higher self, the part of you that knows there's another direction here or it's time to turn left. I think that there are some practical things you can do and finding the right thing for you is important. So it could be just journaling, just listening. One thing that I like to do is actually have a dialogue with that part 
So I'll write my name, colon, and I'll ask a question. What is the right direction for me now? What are you telling me? I actually dialogued with my back in my herniated <laughs> disc. Herniated disc, what are you trying to tell me? And, and just listen for the answers and write that out and then really reflect on that. Meditation is also a great practice, tuning into the body, quieting the mind, because we can just get overwhelmed with the directions and the all of the to-dos and having it all and all of the stuff that we lose touch with what's actually true for us and what's actually important for us to do. Definitely. The world just moves so quickly. Sometimes we don't even know. We don't until there's a herniated disc, we don't even know what we want or that we need to change. Right. Kim, did you bring a quote for me today? I did, Kristen. This is actually my motto for this year. I usually pick a word for the year, and my word for this year is commitment. And it's commitment because I can see that when I am not committed to myself, my path, everything goes awry. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing actually gets done. So I love this quote from William H. Murray. And William H. Murray actually studied Goethe. And so this is related to a Goethe quote. People say that Goethe said this, but it's actually William H. Murray. And he says, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness, concerning all acts of initiative and creation there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. And that is something I've seen over and over again in my life. When I committed to following my path, leaving New York, I landed in India and there were all kinds of amazing people that just showed up to guide me to the next place and the next place. When I decided that I'm moving to Canada, okay, I'm going to Canada. I land there and magically there's a house, a job and a work permit. You get to be Tabitha. <laughs> yeah, you get to be Tabitha. When I say, okay, I'm coming back to Texas, I'm committing to my family, I'm committing to being here, then the man that I've been waiting for my whole life shows up and connections and alliances. Our path unfolds in front of us when we connect. Yeah, and I feel like I'm often very proud of the fact that I do a lot of different things, but I think sometimes I use that as a bit of a crutch to say, oh, I can do all of this and I'll make up my mind about this little thing that's gnawing at me later. If I need to make a few decisions, Sometimes I need that prompt to remember that when I've committed to something, that's when things start happening. Very good yes. choice of quotes. Thank you. Well, with that, I will just say thank you so much, Kim, for joining me. It's been really interesting to hear your story. And I think I personally have learned a lot. I'm ready to go out and make some changes and make some commitment. I love it. I'm so glad. It's so wonderful to be connected with you, Kristen, and to all of your listeners. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I will make sure that all of your links are in the show notes. So if people want to find people at the center or more information about you, they can. Thanks again, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told 
and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at the secondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.